0: Looking at Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. You can find that in your Pew Bibles on page 1535. Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it understand to whom they belong. As we have been going through Matthew's gospel, we have been witnesses to a life that is like none other. It is through Christ that we see a wisdom that is unmatched. It is through Jesus that we see an authority that is unyielding. It is through the Son of God that we see a kindness that is unequaled. Christ in, in, is in all categories of life the supreme Example of what humanity should be. And the reason he is those things is because of who he is. He is God incarnate. He is the divine who became a man. He is the express representation of the Father. This is what we read in the Nicene Creed, is it not? It was in John's Gospel where Philip asked Jesus, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It's interesting how Jesus responded. Look at at John 14, verse 9. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You see, it is Jesus who is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being. And it is through him that we understand what it is that God is trying to transform us into. For he is molding us and and shaping us into the image of his son. And this is crucial for our text for today. For, for what we'll find is that, that man's allegiance, it should be derived from his identity. But before we jump in, let's, let's set the stage. As we have been going through this, we, we have seen Jesus enter into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey to cries of Hosanna. And he had had established himself as the Messiah. The anointed one from God. The one to whom God had given authority to rule over his kingdom. But his authority was being challenged by the ruling class of the Jews. In fact, there were were now many different factions within Judaism that opposed Jesus. Thus far we have seen the, the chief priests and the elders those who make up the Sanhedrin, or the ruling council in Jerusalem. And if you recall, Jesus had rebuked these men through the use of three parables, each one being a warning not to reject his authority. But as we'll soon find out, these men did not heed Christ's words, as he would now be challenged three times by these various factions within the Sanhedrin. Three times they would pose to Jesus a theological question. A question that would attempt to undermine his authority. And it is today that we come to the first of these challenges. Look at verses 15 through 17 once again. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said. We know that you are a man of integrity, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Hopefully by now you know who the Pharisees were. They have been referenced quite a bit throughout Matthew's Gospel. They were those religious leaders who were fastidiously obedient to God's law. and In fact, many of them believed that it would be through their obedience that not only would they earn God's favor, but they would also bring about the coming of the Messiah. You see, these men, they were looking forward to the one who would free them from the Romans and establish Israel as a sovereign nation once again. But the question we must ask is, who were these other people than this other group? Who were the Herodians? We haven't heard much about them, have we? Now the Herodians, they were not a religious sect of Judaism. Rather, they were a political group. A group that supported the dynastic dynastic line of King Herod. And in so doing, they were also in support of Roman occupation over Israel. For it was the Romans who had granted Herod his power in the first place. Now what is interesting is that these two groups, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they, they couldn't stand each other. The, the Pharisees, they, they hated Roman control And so they were no friends to these Herodians. And yet, here they are, working together, trying to test Jesus. And the question we must ask ourselves is, why? Why are they together? It's often that a a common enemy will create strange bedfellows. And Jesus posed the greatest threat to both of these groups. He was that mutual enemy that had brought these bitter rivals together. And so they came up with this plan. They would go to Jesus with a question, a question to settle a long standing dispute between these two groups. And they would ask him Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But before they get to their question, did you notice all the flattering words that were coming out of their mouths? Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Do you smell that? I smell a trap. These fawning words that the Pharisees used, they they were there to force Jesus' hand. You see, by starting off by telling him what kind of man he is, that he is a man who is not swayed by the opinions of men, then the pressure would be on him. The pressure to give an answer without concern for the consequences. Without concern about the enemies that such an answer might create. Tell us then, O man of integrity, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now the particular tax that these two groups were disputing was the poll tax that was paid out once a year. Every Jew would have to pay one denarius to Rome in order to fund the Roman soldiers who were occupying their land. Now, to the Jews, this tax, it was detestable. And it was so for a number of reasons. The first I just stated, right? I mean, the money went to support their oppressors. Who wants to pay the salary of the ones that are keeping you down, am I right? Second, this tax was a yearly reminder to the Jews that their nation was occupied, suggesting that Rome, and not Yahweh, had ownership over Israel. And finally, by paying this tax, it gave the Jews the feeling that they themselves were betraying their God, betraying the one to whom they owed their allegiance. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus was now put to the test. For if he answered no, no, it's not right, then he would remain in favor with the people, but but he would also be accused of treason. And this was the whole reason that the Herodians were there. You see, the, the Herodians, they would have been quick to bring up this charge of sedition to Pilate. And so by answering no... Jesus would have created for himself a powerful, powerful political enemy. He would have been labeled as an insurrectionist and brought up on charges of treason. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, they, they had no problem with people trying to wiggle their way out of this tax. And if Jesus answered yes, yes, you should pay your taxes to Caesar." then they would be the ones who would spread the word far and wide that Jesus was in full favor of Roman occupation and thus cannot be the Messiah. I mean, after all, how could the son of David support Roman control over Israel? When you think about it, this was quite an insidious plot by by these men. For either Jesus would would be labeled as an insurrectionist or he was not the Messiah. Let's see how Jesus responded. Look look at verse 18. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. Denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Jesus is not fooled by either their flattery or their deception, for he can discern the hearts of men. He he sees past their their flowery compliments and and looks into their deepest being. He he knows their underlying motives and perceives their evil intent. They cannot fool the Son of God, and so he calls them hypocrites and asks them, "Why are you trying to trap me?" This is often the way of sinful man, is it not? always trying to deceive God. But deception is pointless. For God knows, He knows the intricacies of our hearts. He knows the sin that lays down deep within us. And there is not one thing that that we can hide from His sight. Any form of hypocrisy that is within our hearts will be exposed. And as good as, as a trap as this was, They were trying to set a trap on Jesus, and Jesus cannot be deceived. But Christ has more than just a knowledge of their hearts, does he not? For he also contains a wisdom that that far far exceeds any that these men had known. And he had a lesson for both these Pharisees and these Herodians. He asked them to show him a coin. Now, the coin he was referring to would have been a Roman denarius. And I have an image of that right up there for you. On the front of this coin, you would have seen a picture of Tiberius Caesar, who was the current ruling emperor at that time. And along with this image would have been the inscription Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. But there is more. For on the the flip side of that coin would have been another image. The image of Pax, the Roman goddess of peace. And inscribed there would have been the words Pontiff Maxim, or High Priest. Now imagine the scene. Here we have Jesus, the only begotten Son of God holding this coin, looking at an image of one of his creation. And the inscription says, Son of the Divine. Christ, who is our true high priest, he he would have then flipped this coin over and saw the pagan goddess with the words Pontiff Maxim, or high priest. I mean, the irony doesn't get any richer, does it? Attributes that should be ascribed to him were, were given to a sinful man and a false god. But there's more to it than just that. For the fact that they even had this Roman coin readily available speaks volumes. I mean, this was the currency of their time. It was what they used in their everyday lives. The truth of the matter is that In every transaction that they made, they were proclaiming that they were under the control of Rome. So whether they paid this tax or not, every time they bought, every time they sold, they were declaring that Rome was in charge. Thus Jesus asked them a simple question. Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? A simple question with a simple answer. And yet an answer that speaks to the truth of first century Israel. Caesar was in charge. And with this fact in mind, Jesus answered their original question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what was his answer? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And to God... What is God's? In this one little phrase, Christ has brought about liberation to his church. You see, Jesus was making a distinction between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. As Christians, you are to obey your earthly masters. And yet, your first allegiance is to always be to God. Listen, every generation has had to wrestle with this issue. The church has had to figure this out over and over again. How are the followers of Jesus supposed to respond to the governments of this world? And the answer can be be confusing because no two governments are alike. Some are friendlier towards the church, while others are hostile. But as a Christian, you are to be in this world and not of this world. And what Jesus is saying here is that the church can be the church, regardless of the government that it finds itself under. Give to Caesar what is due him, but give to God. Your allegiance. And what is it that Caesar wants? Honestly, not much. He wants your money, he he wants control over these earthly kingdoms. And Jesus says, Let him have it. Let him take all those coins that are stamped with his image. Let him occupy this land. But what he cannot demand from you is that which is stamped with another image. For he has no right to claim for himself the human soul. Dear friends, Jesus is pointing out something deeper and more vital than just the distinction between the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God. Remember, the the coin that Jesus held had Caesar's image upon it. That coin belonged to Caesar and to no one else. So give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And what is it that bears God's image? Or rather, should I say, who is it? What did we read in our first scripture reading today? Look at Genesis 1 verse 26. Brothers, sisters, you belong to God. Your body, your soul, everything about who you are. You are not your own, but you are God's possession, for you have been stamped with His image. The truth of the matter is, God is your master. And you are to give to Him what is His. And this is not about money. For the the demand that God has placed upon you is your whole life. Let me ask you. Have you submitted to His will? Or are there things that you are still holding on to? Are there areas in your life in which you want to maintain control? Do you honor God's image by what you do with your body? Or do you defile it by doing that which is unholy? But it goes further than just thinking about yourself. For you are not the only one who bears this image, right? Do you honor others? Those who also carry this portrait of God? Do you love your neighbor knowing that in so doing you are loving God? Or do you treat others with contempt and dishonor? As a church, we are supposed to be Christ-like. We are supposed to be the image of our Savior. And yet all too often we fall short, do we not? All too often I fall short. And if you're honest with yourself, you will see that all too often you fall short. That you have not given to God what is His due. That you still hold some things back for your own use. This is a hard truth that both you and I must deal with. And yet we are fortunate, are we not? For we have one who has imaged the Father perfectly. You see, Jesus is the great image bearer, He is the one who has given to His Father all that is His due. I mean, this is what he said to Philip, right? Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the only one who gives to God the things that are God's. And he did this by being the perfect portrait of his Father. He imaged his father's holiness by living a life that was without sin. He imaged his father's sacrificial love when he went to the cross, dying for your sins. And he imaged his father's dominion as he rose from the dead three days later. And now he is asking you to follow in his footsteps, that you might give to God what is God's. Well, the critics of Jesus were now silenced. Look at our last verse. Look at verse 22. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Jesus is the Messiah. Yet his kingdom is not of this world. Rome holds no power over him. The currencies of this world hold no value to him. For there will come a day when they will all be put under his feet. When he returns in glory to judge both the living and the dead. And on that day, it will not matter how many coins you possessed. For there will be only one possession that is of worth, which is Christ our Lord. And it will not matter What position of power you once held on this earth. For there will be only one king. And his name is Jesus. And the good news for those of you who are in Christ. For those of you who have faith in this great image bearer. You will also be bearing the image of God's son. For Jesus is shaping you. He's molding you into his likeness. He is forming you into a portrait of himself. And once he has completed his work, then you will no longer be that that sinful man or that sinful woman who does not want to give to God what is God's. Rather, you will be righteous. Righteous just like your Lord. For that image of God that is now cracked It will be mended, thanks to the work of Jesus. Therefore, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Let us pray. Father, you who formed us out of the mud and shaped us into your image, we come to you now humbled by your word. You truly are deserving of all that we have. And we ask now that you would change us from within by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would shape us into the image of your Son. In order that we might give to you what is your due. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.